Welcome to On the Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Hi, I'm Andy Simon. I'm your host and your guide. And as you know, my job is to get you off the brink, to help you see, feel, and think in new ways about all the things that are keeping you from growing, learning, going places, scaling up, whatever it is, starting that business or turning it into a success. So I go looking for interesting people who can help you do the same. And today I have with me Bruce Eckfeld, who is an absolutely charming gentleman who's going to tell you a lot about how do you, he's laughing, yeah. <laughs> and, and he is a real genius at turning all kinds of things into success stories. A little bit about why I thought you would enjoy him. He says his passion lies in the architecture of business strategy and development. And when he tells you his story, you'll hear why. He's a business coach. He specializes in identifying key performance indicators, obstacles and challenges and growth activities. And he uses the tools and techniques afforded by his years of experience. And he's also certified in scaling up and three hag. And he creates a blueprint that clearly defines the structure of your success. He works with leaders across lots of industries, but I love the idea that comes out of Bruce because he grew a business and then he had to figure out what to do after he didn't have the business anymore, but it was a success. But it's also about our personal transformation. We are many things over our lifetime. So I'm going to turn it to Bruce, thank him for being here and ask him to tell our listeners the story of Bruce. Who are you and what's your journey all about? And thanks for coming. Uh-huh. Well, thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so my, my background, uh, I mean, I guess I, I always say my background is maybe a little bit different, but I think everybody's background is a little bit different at some level. Um, but I started as an architect. I, I did two degrees in architecture at McGill University in Montreal, uh, spent a couple of years in the profession, then realized I did not want to be an architect. <laughs> there's, there's a big difference between training as an architect and the professional practice. Um, and, and I got recruited to New York uh, to work with interactive media because I needed people who could do modeling and the renderings and do these kind of 3D worlds. I was doing a lot of computer modeling and animation work. And that really got me into software, into tech, and I got into product development, product strategy. And I spent many years working with kind of in the dot-com craziness of building out these kind of digital products and digital strategies. And then and ended up founding a tech company. I got frustrated with the technical side uh, and started looking at how can we build this stuff faster and better. Stumbled across something called extreme programming way back in the day. It was one of the early lean, agile development methodologies. Uh, so I got very steeped in software development, software development methodology, and then uh, really coaching companies on how to adopt this process. So we started building products for people, and then they wanted to learn how we did what we did. And so we started a coaching and training company to really focus on this transformation, these agile transformations. So I spent about a decade growing and scaling that company, uh, which had its own kind of challenges and uh, uh, lessons learned, uh, and then sold that. Uh, it was probably about six, seven years ago now, uh, and really pivoted into uh, strategic coaching. So I took all of my experiences and learnings and all the things I did wrong and was like, okay, how can I help other people at least make different mistakes that I did <laughs> rather than the same ones? Uh, <laughs> so I've spent the last five, six years really focused on strategic coaching and working with these growth companies on how, how they're going to scale, what the strategy is going to be, how do they execute, how do they build out leadership teams around CEOs to really kind of drive performance and level up leadership inside the company. So they can achieve these goals. And so I, I come in when the company is a couple million in revenue and we look at what does it take to get to a couple hundred million in revenue uh, and what do we need to do? What are the disciplines and processes we need to put in place? So, so that's well, what I, we work with organizations like you do that need to change. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. I used to say, if you want to change, have a crisis or create one mm-hmm, yeah. like pandemic. Um, but that was always a way in which people would pay attention. My first yeah. book was seven case studies and they were all stalled or stuck. Yeah. And until they get to that pain point and they try this and they try that, they finally call Bruce and say, 
<laughs> what do I do? So I'm curious, um, I'd love to pick your brain about how do you help them see things? Because typically they hire us and put them in a closet. Don't come out. You know, we're doing just fine, but you're not. I, I'm doing just fine. I don't know how to grow, but I'm fine. I'll be fine, <laughs> but you're not. And so this kind of love-hate with change is the way the brain works. It flees yeah. it, it fears it, it fries it or whatever. Mm-hmm. So share with our listeners, what do you see and how do you help them do that? Yeah. You know, it's one of the, one of the things I always kind of keep in mind and I tell my clients is that pe- people would rather do what's familiar than what's comfortable, right? right? So even if something is painful, even if they're boiling away, you know, in that pot, yes. you know, I, I like this pot. I, you know, I'm familiar with it, right? And so, um, you know, a lot of it is just getting them to appreciate and to embrace the idea that it's not going to be familiar. You're going to be uh, you're going to have a certain amount of confusion, a little bit of chaos. Like it's not going to be easy. Like if they, if they hire me because they think I'm going to make it easy, that's, that's the, you know, we're, we're stopping the engagement there because, um, because it is, it's hard. Right. And, and there's a certain amount of embracing that difficulty and realizing that that difficulty is actually a sign that you are engaging in some kind of change process. Uh, ideally, we want to make sure it's the right change process, right? So that's we put, we put in strategy and we put in goals and we kind of, you know, want to make sure we have a clear objective around it. But I think that's probably the number one thing that I, that I try to really focus on with my clients is just get them comfortable with the idea that it is going to be uncomfortable, right? And, um, you know, if we, can, if we can lay that down as a foundation, then, then we can start building up on that and start doing all these other things that they need to do on top of it. But I would say, I would say that's the first thing. Um, you know, I'm, my, my kind of framework, or, or I say that, you know, we talk about strategy development and strategy execution. We can have the best plan in the world, but if we can't execute on it, like, it doesn't really matter. It's all a dream. And, and vice versa, we can do all the work in the world that we want, but if we don't have a real plan on how it's going to achieve our goals, we're just going to be spinning around in circles. So for me, there's always this kind of balance between these two when I work with companies to figure out how they're going to scale. Well, you know, you're raising some things that I want to dig into a little bit yeah. for our listeners and our viewers. Um, first of all, your brain has a story in it. And if you haven't watched any of Marissa Pierce's stuff, if you're going to change, you're going to have to collaborate with your mind. If not, it will be perfectly happy living the current story. Mm-hmm. And it will actually blame others and complain about them for the pain that you're feeling. It's not yours because it's much happier doing that. And the second thing is that the brain does exactly, the mind does exactly what it thinks you want it to do. And so you're going to have to change that story. And then the familiar is perfectly fine. And it goes to where pleasure is, not pain. So all the things that Bruce and I work with on companies is to overcome the basic problem of the day, which is your mind hates us because all of the things it does now, it doesn't want to change. What I find is that the problem often is I can't see what the new is. So we do a lot of storytelling. I'm curious, what do you do to help them see what's possible so that their brain stops fighting the whole thing? Because our job is to help you get better. And I know it sounds like a golf swing. You know, my golf coach keeps giving me pain in my brain. (laughs) Someday I'll kill that slice. But I I appreciate what he's trying to do is to see it. Do you, I mean, are there things that you can add to my little, you know, distress here about how do you begin to see what's new and how to get there? Yeah. So, so one of the key things I do, um, because I I primarily work with leadership teams, right? So part of this is the individual kind of uh, mindset or the individual thinking, but then there's the team thinking. And uh, I run people through a three-day strategy process, which um, it is fundamentally designed of getting their team brain on the same page, right? Because it, what I find typically is when I start asking these three strategic questions, 
I'll, I'll talk to a team of eight people and I'll get nine different versions, right? Like it's just, there is no real common collective uh, understanding of what are we trying to do? Where are we trying to go? Um, so I recently did this with a, a, a group as actually a technology spinoff. So they a large company had been uh, developing a product actually for um, uh, intelligence agency, military stuff. And we uh, are, are looking to bring it to new um, sort of new markets and eight people who have worked together for a very long time. But when I started asking the questions of why are we here? Like what, and what does success look like? What do we want to be in 10 years? Where do we want to be in three years? What are the things we really need to focus on to get those as, and, and the process that I use is very intentional where I have them all kind of articulate this individually. And then we sort of share the answers and, and seeing the, the differences and seeing the, um, the diversity and the answers but also the commonality is we can start building a new foundation around what is that story? What is, what is, the, what is it we're trying to do? Why are we trying to do it? What is the impact we want to have in the world? And therefore, where do we want to, what is the big goal? I, I, I always use this, I have lots of little jokes that I use, little phrases. We can climb any mountain you want, just not every mountain you want, <laughs> right? So we just got to pick one. And it's not even that there's one that's good or bad, but if you know half the people are trying to climb Annapurna and half the people are trying to climb Everest, you're not, it's just not going to work, right? So we've got to get that vision down. We've got to, uh, we, to really understand what that is. And then we need to start to plot the path. So the, the, the key process that I do is a 12-quarter plan. And it really forces us to say, well, if you want to be there in 10 years, which means you need to be in here in three years, what are the steps, right? And, and if one team says, well, we're going to go up and to the right, another team is going to go, we're going to down to the left. Well, like, those are two different paths. Like, we need to choose, and, and so a lot of this is just getting that story, get, cr- creating a common story that everyone on the team is aligned behind. And not, not even that one is good or bad. It's just one is picked is half the ballot, <laughs> half the challenge, I find. Well, this is so interesting because we just finished with a client and we had 12 of their leadership team together. And we, we were doing Blue Ocean Strategy, which mm-hmm. is not that different from what you're doing. Yep. They had eight, eight different ideas about what they were doing today, to your point. Mm-hmm. And the leadership, the leader, leader, was in shock at how they had all, in an octopus style, gone off in their own directions with their own stories. And the actions, what they didn't realize, that, that it influences what they do every day. Mm-hmm. And the lack of, 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 of system around the thinking had led them to be independent entrepreneurs in a company that was actually a, um, a utility company where you should all be doing or providing energy in the same way, aren't we? Well, no, we are not. And that became part of the uh, aha serendipitous moment, which says, oh, I guess we can't simply assume that everyone knows what we're doing and where we're going and how we're going to get there. And then the other problem is, well, where are we going? And I love your backward planning, because if we don't know where we're going, I can't do anything. Um, I was sharing in another uh, conversation I was having about change, though, because one of the things that we're learning is that humans change best when it's on the edge. There's a little story of a Stanford professor who wanted to illustrate this. And he decided every time he flushed the toilet, he was going to do two push-ups. And all of a sudden, he was doing four push-ups and then 10 push-ups. And he didn't realize how the little trigger of association of A with a B, totally disconnected, had nothing to do with each other, was enough for him to start to do push-ups. And his point was, uh, if you want to change, it's a small win at a time that begins to measure the changes. 
but find a trigger to help you start the process. And I don't know, as you're working on scalability and so forth, are you finding similar things? I share that because it's so simple, but it's so true that unless you have something that you're going to use as a trigger, um, the changes will, it will be so much easier to ignore the consultant, forget what we've done, go back to the old habits and not change at all. So any triggers that you have discovered are particularly good in industry, particularly in the IT world, should be something. Yeah, so I, th- I think the one that came to mind immediately as you started talking is one of the disciplines that I really encourage teams to to embrace fairly quickly in the process is the daily stand-up or the scrum. Yes. Right? And because it's just, it it is, it's a, uh, it's a habit, right? So we're talking about forming habits. It's a routine. You do it daily uh, and it becomes uh, a, a really kind of a metronome to the, the process, right? So it doesn't, there's no skipping it. It doesn't matter what happened. If you go, if you, you walk into the stand-up and it's like, you know what? I didn't get anything done yesterday. That's okay. Right. It's just you're becoming aware and you're creating a pattern and a rhythm about being more aware of what it is you're doing, what it is you're focusing on. And it's kind of the strategic reset. You know, it's because all this stuff comes at you during the day. It's very easy to kind of start your day with the first thing in your inbox. And this is it's a nice way to kind of say, no, the, the stand up is where we kind of take a step back, reflect on what are our goals, what were our commitments, what do I really need to focus on today? Yeah, I need to get to all my emails, but above and beyond that, what do I need to do? And, and ideally, what do I need to do first? What is the half hour that I need to spend to push push that strategic goal just a little bit farther before I start dealing with the day-to-day drama that's coming at me? Well, and I often work on people's management of time. Yeah. You know, now, if you're a good morning person, then what's the priority for the morning when you're fresh? And, and if you're an afternoon or evening person, you know, what? how do you make sure that the priorities for the day that have to get done are in your, your hot spot and not in your quiet time? Those emails are um, um, horrible. They're a blessing. <laughs> during the pandemic, I've had clients who have been reading the emails at 10, 11 o'clock at night. As if it demonstrates they're working. I said, you're creating an illusion. (laughs) And you can do that, but why? You need to balance all of this. Well, how do I manage the inbox? And well, then how do you manage your day, particularly if you're moving someplace because you're going to change the way you get it done? You know, your silos are going to become collaborations and the words turn into actions. And but I love your your huddles or your morning um, gatherings. Uh, I did them in two clients and I did them on my own business and it was the best time of the day for everybody. You know, it's sort of interesting. Do you do that now with others? I mean, I'm thinking about how I can add that to my little toolkit now. Yeah, no, I certainly, I, I have a little calendar, a 15 minute calendar um, meeting in my, uh, you know, scheduled that is, is my personal huddle, right? And it's just where I step step back. I reorganize my to-do list. I kind of look at what got done yesterday. I, I reprioritize the top six things that I'm going to get done today or my top six priorities that I'm going to focus on for the day. Um, and that really comes out of the, the other thing that I do. It kind of relates to the huddle, which is something called defensible calendar. So it's really, and, and I like the way you set it up as, as being, if you're a morning person, this is what you do. If you're an evening person, you know, because one of the things I find is not everyone's a morning person, right? Everyone's got their own sort of rhythms and circadian rhythms and cycles and things like that. And some people think really well in the morning, some people in the evening. And once you figure that out, my whole philosophy is you want to design a calendar, an ideal calendar based on blocks of time to do the most important things at the right time of day. So if you're not a morning person, you may not want to do your super strategic stuff in the morning. You may not be in the best energy, best thinking mode. 
But once you figure that out is, is block those items out and then uh, defend those blocks, right? So if something comes at you, protect it as much as possible. If you do, you need to move it. You can't delete it. You need to move it somewhere else because you still need to get that done. And because, I mean, fundamentally, my philosophy is time is your one true limited asset. And if you're not managing that well, you're hurting your productivity. So that huddle combined with a good defensible calendar, and, and I do this at the individual level and then at the team level. So what is your what is your what are your time blocks as a team? And then I've had groups that do it as a company, right? And they'll say, you know, Wednesday afternoons are no meeting Wednesday afternoons, right? Because we want to create focus time for everyone. We don't want people interrupting each other. So that that combination of kind of the huddle and the discipline and the defensible calendar, really figuring out what is your best um, what what best work do you do when, I think is key to any any leader, any executive has, has to master that. Now, a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. Simon Associates is us, and we love to help you see, feel, and think in new ways to help you and your business grow. We specialize in applying the tools and methods of anthropology, but we're also entrepreneurs and business builders, and we like to share our experience and expertise with you. So if you're stalled or stuck or starting up, give us a buzz and let's see if we can help you as well. You can learn all about us at simonassociates.net and read my book, learn about it at andysimon.com. There's a free chapter you can download and a toolkit you'll find very helpful. We're on Amazon and you can buy it as a book, an ebook, or even an audible that I recorded myself. We look forward to hearing from you at simonassociates.net. Info at simonassociates.net is right to us. Now back to our podcast. Well, and since you're a strategy person, as I am, I also find that aiming towards a strategic um, session, either once a month or once a quarter, um, some do once a week. On Fridays, it's their strategy time so that they can begin to assess whether they're moving in a direction, whether they're on strategy, they're off. They have to turn it from once a year, we got a strategy done to, you know, nobody would go to battle without <laughs> at least looking at what the day is and where where does it fit? Because your daily uh, to-do list may have no strategic initiative on there at all. It's easy not to let the inbox drive my day, right? Mm-hmm. So are there some methods you use that you find are particularly useful in some fashion or really have turned lemons into lemonade? Yeah. I, so it's interesting. I, I have steered away from annual planning at this point. Um, <laughs> me, well, to me, mainly because what I'd like to see is um, uh, I'm going to call it a 12 quarter plan. It's really a 12 cycle plan. Uh, I want to map out 12 cycles. Uh, in most companies I work with, we do this quarterly, right? So we come up with um, 12 quarters and then we meet every quarter to set the next 90 day goals. And, and some, for some companies, every quarter, we add a quarter. And some company, every year, we add another four quarters. But what I find is if we just do annual planning, we get to the end of the year, and we're not sure what's going to happen in January. Yes. Right? So I always want some runway. I always want some, some kind of vision for where I'm going yeah. and, and, and go through it. And, the, interest, and what, the reason I say cycle, because most companies do quarter, but my uh, kind of philosophy is that depending on the rate of change of the market you're in, that cycle needs to change, right? So if you're a high-tech startup and you're dealing with a very volatile situation, that might be monthly. So we may have a 12-month plan and planning every month, every 30 days, uh, because we need that kind of turnaround. We may have some situations where it's weekly, right? If you're an early-stage startup and you're just like, we don't even know what we're doing yet, we may have a 12-week plan and we're doing this every week, but it's that cycle that I want to see 12 cycles out in terms of runway uh, around my planning process. It does change their mindset, though, it doesn't it? 
Absolutely. Yeah. And um, humans are so fascinating because um, companies grow, I bet yours did, in not necessarily linear fashion. Yep. And ideas come from all over the place and you have to figure out which ones are the on strategy and maybe the strategy is not right or wrong. When you were growing your company, were there particular things that stood out to you and helped you in that learning process? I'm sort of curious because oh, yeah. you were so successful. Yep. Well, so I think the... Um, in part because we, we were in the lean agile space, we were borrowing a lot of sort of lean philosophy in it. But I, I would say one of the, the core things that um, that we learned or that was was key to our growth was this kind of culture of continuous improvement. And there's a couple of things that really meant day to day. So every week we would have all, all of our teams, whether it was operational teams or project teams, every Friday afternoon, we they set aside at least half an hour to an hour to do re- reflect on the week. Right. And there was a process of, you know, we, we get the data on the table, we develop insights, see what the options are, and then action some of those into the next, in the next seven days, what could we do to sharpen the axe? What can we do differently? You know, can we change the way we deploy something? Can we change the way we schedule a meeting? Can we change the agenda on something? Always looking for incremental improvements. So that was one practice that, that I took away from there, that we developed there, that I do with all of my clients, and I help put yes. that in place. And the other one was really, so uh, in our case, we had lots of people out on the field at different client offices. We'd do a quarterly meeting where one day we would get everyone together and we would do an open space. So that was a really, it was just kind of take the pulse of everything that's going on in the company. And we'd set up a big open room and we had multiple meeting spots and we'd start the day of just like, what do, what do people want to talk about? What are people, what are on people's minds? And it was a great way to just kind of in the zeitgeist of, hey, this is really important to me right now. Let's put it on the wall. Whoever wants to talk about that can go there. Uh, and it was, it was a some really phenomenal ideas came out of it. Um, and, and it was, it wasn't until we kind of let go of the agenda <laughs> that we could have that happen. Cause it was, uh, we were forcing it too much in the beginning. Uh, but that's another one that I felt was really helpful. And, um, you know, I, I just really encourage companies to have that kind of open format time to really just what is going on right now? What do we need to talk about? That's going to help elevate the performance of the company. You know, it's interesting because during this COVID period, um, I've organized two groups of women, sort of tied into my book, Rethink, Mm -hmm. Um, and one through our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon, and the other coming out of um, a thought leadership group that that I belong to. Mm -hmm. And they are loose, and they are trying to figure out what is it we should be talking about. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, it's your open forum on, you know, what are the challenges? You know, what what are the issues that you could use some, and these folks don't know each other other than through this loose assembly of stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you talk about the changes coming out of COVID and what's the new normal and what's going to stick, what's not going to stick, I hope these stick because they're absolutely great women who could use a little time helping each other in a completely apolitical fashion, think out loud about things that matter. And inside a company, there's always a political element to it. You know, am I smart? Am I not? Am I looking the right role? Here, there's no roles to play. There's no smarts or not smart. Yeah. And and the, the joy is that be you and bring together some things that you'd like some ideas about. How can we help each other? Um, but I'm listening to you and I'm saying, this is sort of an interesting outside of the box, inside the box. You know, I'm not sure where it is. Um, that I hope continues because it is very helpful for people to have time to talk about things that are challenging in a neutral environment. Yeah. So, um, I, and I don't know what you're finding inside these companies with remote work. Are there any things that might be shareables that that are worth looking at? Because you know this remote work has changed conversations, the gatherings, and the meetings, uh, all kinds of things. Any thoughts to share? 
Yeah, two, two ideas come to mind. I mean, I think for, for employees or company people, leaders who are running companies who are now in this kind of work from home model and, you know, are, are not used to it or, you know, it's a big change for them. Um, I do find cre- creating together these little pods, like putting together groups that are not functional based. Uh, that, uh, you know, cross-function department where they have some time to really kind of talk to each other about kind of what's working, what's not working, what are the challenges they're having, but in a way that's not their direct reports or direct colleagues, um, but they still these people still know the context of the business uh, has been very helpful. I've had a couple of companies that have done this and they just, they do it like every other week and it's a half an hour. It's just, it's a way to create a little bit of connective tissue between people in the company that otherwise wouldn't work together. And, and originally it was kind of a response to this, oh my gosh, everyone's working from home. How do we keep people connected? But it's had this interesting side benefit of being kind of a forum uh, for people to kind of talk through. And, and there's been interesting p- things that have kind of been um, uh, nurtured or curated out of that, that have sort of worked their way up the chain and become really interesting initiatives for folks, typically around things like, um, you know, policies around how we do time tracks. A couple of companies did some stuff around time tracking and vacation schedules and uh, dealing with some tech issues and stuff like that, where uh, there were there were things that came out of these groups and then bubbled up and became interesting ones. The other one I find, I mean, one of the key things I suggest to all leaders is have some kind of mastermind forum group experience within your kind of, you know, toolbox of uh, leadership tools, right? So, uh, finding a group, usually you know seven plus or minus two people uh, that you can get together on a regular basis that are not your investors, your employees, your spouse, your you know people that have sort of invested interest in particular outcomes uh, that can give you some kind of tough feedback if they need to, can support you in different ways, that you can be totally open, confidential environment. That that has been for me personally. That's been one of the most important parts of my own leadership development. Uh, and I, I think any leader needs some kind of format like that to to learn. I'm a Vistage speaker, and to some yeah. degree, Vistage does exactly that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and as I watch the dynamics in the room, they really come together for group therapy. Um, they come together yeah. for uh, a safe environment to talk about key issues. And, and an opportunity to pick each other's brains from different industries. And it works extremely well. And I'm always in awe. And I love doing it virtually now, so I don't have to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's cool. So I'm watching our time. And we're about ready for us to wrap up. Give us, our listeners, I don't know, one, two, or three things you don't want them to forget. Yeah. from Bruce. Yeah. Um, well, like I said in the beginning, I think the, the one thing uh, that I always encourage leaders to think about is they're going to have to change. Right. It's just it, it's expected, expected it to be uncomfortable. And just so you can develop a mindset of uh, that being OK with discomfort and knowing that discomfort is going to be part of the process. I, that's probably the number one thing I encourage people to do. Um, and then this idea of continuous improvement. Right. If you can develop, a, I, I talk about developing a muscle of having a regular practice of reflecting on recent results and using that not as a way to kind of judge yourself, but as a way, as a source of learning, as a source for insight, uh, is probably one of the best teachers out there is, is you know, our, our, our recent performance. So, um, you know, do it, do it with compassion, do it with learning, do it with the purpose of getting better. Uh, but I think those two things are, is what drives just about any country uh, company. I think I would say you, you can't scale a company unless you're going to scale the leadership, right? And so you've got to scale yourself through the process if you want to scale the business. It's exciting. Although I must confess, when my golf pro told me to start keeping score, I went, oh, do I have to? He said, well, you'll never know if you're getting any better or not if you don't keep score. 
And I went, I like the game. Do I have to play for a score? And life is full of scoring. I score now, but I'm not, I, I, but I, I do appreciate what he was saying. And it's a nice metaphor for those golfers who are listening that if you don't keep score in your business um, and you don't really reflect on it, you're never going anywhere. And, and if our job is to lead others, they're all watching us. They want to follow us someplace good. And in and, uh, and changing times, we're not quite sure what the destination is. So, you know, hanging together and, and lead them well. It's, yeah. it's a, a cool story. Yeah. If they want to reach you and perhaps get to know you better, what kinds of things can you help them with and how could they get hold of you? Yeah. So um, my website is just eckfelt.com, just my last name.com. And my email is bruce at eckfelt.com. Uh, and so you can always check that out. I run two different podcasts called Thinking Outside the Bud and Scaling Up Services. Lots of great content on both of those where we talk about a lot of these kind of questions and, and issues within the context of those two areas. But um, yeah, I would love to, uh, anyone that's interested in talking more or uh, enjoyed some of the conversation we had, I'd love to uh, keep the conversation. Yeah, Bruce is deeply involved in the ca- cannabis business. Yeah. We haven't had time to talk about it today. So I have a hunch we will come back and uh, just focus on this emerging new industry and where it's going and all of the related and all kinds of stuff around it. And if you watch his face, it's a whole new opportunity that he's going to take from zero to 60 in no time at all. And uh, we can have some fun with it. So, but thanks for joining us today. Bruce, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. And for all of you who come, I can't thank you enough for your emails, info at andysimon.com or andy at andysimon.com. Remember, our job is to come and help you see, feel, and think in new ways. And what we'd love to do is listen to you tell us how that happened. One woman emailed me back and said, oh, my gosh, I gained a whole new client from this. And I said, this is so much fun. So if we can help you see things through a fresh lens, that's our job. It's a great pleasure. For all of you who come, stay well, stay healthy, stay happy, smile. It's been fun. Bye-bye now.